Well, this morning we're going to be in Psalm 100, and so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up there as we begin our time together. Well, there are uh, many days uh, that I, I wake up and I have my devotional time and uh, reading scripture, uh, meditating on it, seeking to memorize it, uh, praying for uh, application of the, God, of the word in my life and for the people around me and, and for missionaries like the Kelly family uh, who are, who's with us today. And, uh, and, and if I'm honest, um, you know, sometimes uh, that time is more of a duty rather than a delight. Sometimes that's the truth. We, we probably can all relate to that. Thankfully, much of the time, it is a delight. God does work in my heart and convict me of sin and uh, causes me to bubble up and, and, and joy and, and rejoice in God and his word and, and, and the truth of his word and who he is. And I see his faithfulness, his love, his mercy, his grace, his holiness, his faithfulness. However, there's, there's often times, even whenever I have a joyful time delighting in God and his word and, and praying and seeking him, that I, I start to, even just minutes or seconds later, start to doubt God and his goodness, start to doubt God's faithfulness, start to lack trust in God, or go off and sin, get angry or frustrated or, uh, you know, lust or whatever it may be, even seconds or minutes after just delighting in God and his word and seeing who he is and being like, wow, praise God. Like, I, I want to worship you, Lord. And then minutes later, I, I'm falling short. I, I'm sinning, doubting God. And Perhaps many of you can relate to me in this way. Maybe there are many times when you have sweet times in God's word, fellowshipping with God, worshiping God, and then go off and do the same thing that I do. You, many of you can probably relate to me in that. And in our text this morning, we're, we're not going to, uh, you may not necessarily learn a whole bunch of things. You know, maybe, I hope that you learned something. You know, I hope that's the case. Um, but, but the reality is, is that uh, some of you may be pretty familiar with these, but we all need to be reminded of these truths. We all need to fill our minds with these truths day in and day out, and even moment by moment each and every day. So no matter if this is your first time hearing these truths or if this is the millionth time you've heard these truths, we all need to hear these truths this morning, including myself. Uh, we all need to hear the truth of God's word, and remind ourselves of it daily. So in this text, we're going to see five truths about our Lord and that we, need to, that we need to know, that we need to believe, and that we need to remind ourselves of. And then we're going to see three ways in which we are to respond and worship to those five truths about who our God is. So let's read Psalm 100 together. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. 
Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Church, this is the word of God. Would you please pray with me? God, we praise you for this morning. We thank you for the word that you have given us. We thank you for this psalm. God, would you take the truth of your word, would you plant it in each of our hearts deep? God, would it cause fruit to abound as a result of the gospel seed, the, the, the seed of your word going forth? God, would it bear fruit in our lives? Would we not merely be hearers of the word, but would we be doers of the word? God, would you remind us of the, the fact that we need to be reminded of your truth day in and day out, moment after moment. So God, would we hear these truths of you anew this morning? Would they be sweet to our souls? Would they encourage us? Would they fill us with hope? Would they fill us with joy and thanksgiving? And Lord, would it cause us to worship you with our lives? We pray this in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. So we need to know these truths about God. We need to believe these truths about God, and we need to remind ourselves of these truths about God. As I, as I said, even minutes or seconds after filling my mind with these truths or other truths about God, I can go and forget. And so we have to remind ourselves of the truths about who our God is. And that first truth is that the Lord is God. The Lord is God. This Lord... Uh, word here is, is the, the covenant name for God. It means it's Yahweh. Uh, this, this is the all caps Lord in our Bibles. This is a reference to Yahweh. And uh, this, this is who God revealed himself to be to, to Moses at the burning bush. He, he says, I am who I am. I am the Lord. I'm Yahweh. I've always been, always will be. And so we are to, to know that he, Yahweh, is the Lord. This is an imperative command to, to know that God is Lord, that the Lord is God. And so we are to, to know this about God. And there's so-called lowercase g gods that, that, are, you know, that people worship, but they're not true gods. There's only one true God. This is Yahweh, the God who reveals himself throughout Scripture and in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This, this reminds me of, of the story uh, with Elijah and the, and the Baal prophets back in 1 Kings 18. Uh, many of you may be familiar with that. Uh, but, but these uh, Baal prophets and Elijah, they were on Mount Carmel, and, and they were talking, you know, saying, okay, who, whose God is the real God? And so all the Baal prophets, they, they get their altar, they get their bull on there, and they cry out for hours and hours and hours. They're cutting themselves, and, and they're, you know, they're, they're pleading with their, their Baal God to, to come down and light this altar on fire. And this goes on for hours and hours, and of course, Elijah's mocking them. Well, maybe your God went to go and relieve himself, or maybe he's napping and, and kind of poking at them. And he knows that this, this God that you're, you're crying out to is, is not a true God. He's not really the Lord. And so, of course, then you know, the, you know the story, Elijah goes and he pours all of this water. He drenches 
this bull, this altar with water, right? Which puts out fire, obviously. And so then he cries out to God. He cries out to God, and what does God do? He lights that altar on fire and proves that Yahweh is God and that the Baal God is a false God. And of course, we know that all other gods, lowercase g, are false. They are not true. And so our God is the Lord. And you see their response in 1 Kings 18.39. They say, And when the, all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Or in other words, Yahweh, He is God. Yahweh, He is God. So there is no other God but the Lord that we see revealed in the Bible and that we see revealed in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So our God, the Lord, is the sovereign king of the universe, and he alone is God. All other gods are false. There are, there are not multiple gods or multiple ways to get into heaven. There is one way, one truth, one life, and that is through the faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So the, the Lord is God. Yahweh is God. He alone is to be worshipped. And of course, one of the ways in which we know that Yahweh is the true God is that he is creator and he is shepherd. The Lord is creator and he is shepherd. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates all things. He speaks and things, and things come into existence. There was nothing and then there was something God created the world, the heavens and the earth, out of nothing. He speaks, and these things come into existence. And at the pinnacle of God's creation was mankind. He made us in his image. He, he made us to worship him, to delight in him with all of our being. He made us to reflect his glory and to worship him and enjoy him forever. So God is the creator. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the creator of each and every one of us in this room, and he's made each of us in his image to worship him and delight in him. And God is also our shepherd. He is shepherd. You see this all throughout scripture in, in various places. Uh, I want to flip back to uh, Psalm 23. I want to read that verse or that, that psalm for us this morning as we think about the Lord being shepherd. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. This is, a, this is an encouraging psalm. 
that God is our shepherd. He is the provider for us. He leads us into green pastures. He is the the one who gives us peace and rest. So he leads us beside still waters. He restores our souls and he gives us life. He's the one that leads us to live a righteous life for his name's sake. He empowers us. He gives us the grace to live lives that, that honor him. And he is with us even in the midst of the darkest seasons of our lives. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with us, right? Because our, his rod and his staff, they comfort us. He is our shepherd and he cares for his sheep and he protects us and he's with us even in the darkest season of our lives. And in verses 5 and 6, we see that God richly and abundantly pours out his grace and his goodness, his mercy and his kindness to his people. We don't deserve any of that, but he freely and he richly, abundantly pours out his grace and his love and his mercy. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing that, that God would pour out his love and his grace in that way to us, to his sheep. This is, a, this is an encouraging psalm. And so, uh, church, brothers and sisters, I, I encourage you to, to remind yourself that, that God is shepherd. He is with you, even in the darkest season of your life. Even whatever you're going through now, God is with you. He is, his rod and his staff, they comfort you. So take heart in that. Rejoice in that. Praise God for that. John 10, of course, is another passage we can go to to talk about uh, the, the good shepherd. And in, in these verses, we see that that good shepherd is Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. John 10, 7 through 11 says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Amen. So the God-man, Jesus Christ, came into this world to live a perfect life, to live among his people, to be tempted in every single way, yet without sin, was crucified on a Roman cross. Although he was innocent, he took on our judgment that we deserved. He satisfied the wrath of God. He was our substitute that laid down his life for us. He was buried, and then on the third day, he rose again. As we sang that Christ is risen, he resurrected from the grave. Praise God. He defeated death, Satan, and hell. He is the good shepherd. He did all of this so that he would save his sheep, so that he would bring sheep into his fold, so that we would follow him and live our lives for his glory. 
So this brings up the question, are you one of God's sheep? Have you been brought into his fold? Have you trusted in Christ for salvation? Because this is the only way to heaven. It's through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. It says in those verses, he is the door. It is only through him that we enter. And so I urge you, if you have not believed in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, then I I beg of you to respond with repentance and faith. Trust in what Jesus has done on the cross. The good shepherd who laid down his life for sinners like you and me. Repent and believe. But let me be clear, the, the, call, the call to discipleship, it is a costly one. It'll cost you your life. It'll cost you your life. The call of the gospel is to die to yourself, to take up your cross and follow Christ. And so take that decision seriously. Contemplate that. It'll cost you your life. Oh, but how worth it it is. To die to yourself, to take up your cross, and to, to live for Jesus, oh, how worth it is. It, it is so worth it because we gain eternal life. We gain relationship with God. We get to be with him forever and worship him forever. And that's why we were originally created. That's why he made us in his image, so that we would do that. And so if you haven't done that, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, I urge you to do so. For those who have trusted in the good shepherd as their Lord and Savior, then take heart. Remember the truths of Psalm 23, that he is with you even in your darkest days. He is with you. He is your comfort. He is your protector. He is your provider. He restores your soul. Remember those truths. Fill your mind with them and be encouraged by those. God sustains us. He's created us. He's saved us. And now he is sustaining us and sanctifying us. So take heart in that church. So the Lord is creator and he is shepherd. And the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Not only is the Lord all powerful, who created all things, and the sustainer of all things, but he is also a good God. If he were an all powerful God, yet not a loving and kind and good God, then we would be in trouble. But he is all-powerful, he is sovereign, but he is also good. And put those two together, you have a, have a great combination. So our God is good. Now, it's easy to see when things are going well, when you have you know, your, your family, your friends, you have good health, you have a, a healthy church that you're a part of, and you know, things are going well for your life. You have the material things that you need. It's easy to say, okay, yeah, I, I know God's good. You know, he's, he's given me all these things. It's easy to, to see God's goodness whenever things are going well. But sometimes it's hard to see the goodness of God whenever there are difficult things that may, may be going on in our lives. But the bad things in our lives can also be used for the good of other people and ourselves and also the glory of God. I think about the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. It's a prime example of this. Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. He, he had the, the robe of many colors. Jacob 
favored him over the other brothers. He, he showed favoritism to him. And uh, so they were jealous. They were jealous of, uh, of Joseph. And so, of course, they, uh, a few of the brothers want to kill him. And they said, no, 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 we'll just, we'll just uh, we'll put him in this ditch. And then they see all these, these, these people coming through, and, and they sell him to them as a, as a slave. And so Joseph is sold into slavery. They go down to Egypt, and he is, he's a slave. And, of course, Joseph finds favor in the sight of Pharaoh. And, but eventually he gets thrown into jail. And, and so he, he's in jail for a while. And then Pharaoh comes back to him and says, hey, I need you to interpret this dream. I've had, I had this dream about these, these cows and, and this weird, thing, weird stuff. I need, you to, I need you to interpret it. And so he does, and he says, hey, these, the, the, um, the, the fat cows are representative of, the, uh, of these seasons uh, where we're going to have many. And then these, these uh, small cows that are deformed, uh, it's going to show that these are seven years where we don't have much. Seven years of famine. And so Joseph is appointed basically Pharaoh's right-hand man, and he preserves, he saves the, the food and, and the, the seven years of plenty. And then that way when the seven years of famine came, that he was able to, uh, to provide for the people and, and also for other countries. And, of course, uh, Joseph's brothers, they come down and they, they seek, uh, they, they need food, and, and so they come, and, and, uh, and basically he, uh, Joseph is able to provide. Uh, Egypt is, is able to provide for the Israelites and for other people so that they can sustain, that they can live. And so it was because Joseph was sold into slavery that he was down in Egypt and he was able to interpret that dream and able to preserve the lives of, of thousands or however many people. And so Joseph's brothers come down and, and they beg uh, uh, him for forgiveness and, uh, and, and Joseph's response is found in, in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So Joseph, being sold into slavery, was able to preserve the lives of many people. And so God used this evil thing, this difficult season of his life, for the good of other people. But not only can God use difficult things in, in our lives for the good of other people, it, it also can be used for the good in our own lives. If you look at James 1, 2-4, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, we mature, we grow in our faith as we are tested. As there are difficult things in our lives, we are tested and we are mature. We are grown. We are, we are made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so we can count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when we endure trials of various kinds, whatever those trials may be. Because it's through those trials that we grow. We really grow in our trust in the Lord. It's really in those trials that we see the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the love of God. It is through those trials as God preserves us that we see, wow, my God, Yahweh, he is faithful. He is a good shepherd. And so, do you doubt God's goodness. Say we all do it at times. Perhaps you're in a season now where you're 
doubting the goodness of God. Well, take heart, brothers and sisters. Although we live in a sinful world where we will grow weary, where things will be difficult, we can say wholeheartedly that, that our God, the Lord, is good. He is good. And even in the difficult seasons of life, he uses those, those trials, those seasons, to shape us for his, for his glory, to be more like Christ. And he uses it for the good of others as well. And so, church, be reminded that God is good. God is good. And so trust him. Trust his goodness day in and day out, no matter what season you may be in, and remind yourself of that truth. Because in those seasons, it's, it's not just we you know, remind ourselves, okay, God's good. Yeah, I know that. And then you got it. It's, it's day in, day out, moment by moment. So the next two character traits are going to help us to remember God's goodness as well. The Lord's steadfast love endures forever. The Lord's steadfast love endures forever. So this steadfast love, it is, a, it is an unfailing kind of love. It is, it is a love that is kind, that, a love that is good, and, and it, this, this word, uh, hesed, is used as, as God's uh, love that is related to his faithfulness to his covenant. So the, the fact that God keeps his covenant with his people over time. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And so God's love, his steadfast love, endures from generation to generation to generation. It never fails. It is an unfailing kind of love. Of course, we all know that the love that we experience with with other human beings, it, it falls short. We, we fall short of loving one another. In our sinfulness, we, just, we simply can't love one another perfectly. Our spouses, our children, friends, other family members, we simply cannot love them perfectly because we are sinful. And there may be people in our lives that, uh, that, that they've wronged us, or we just cla- our personalities may clash with them, or perhaps there's a jealousy of that person for whatever reason, and it's hard for us to love them, to really care for them. So human love is imperfect, and it will fail. It will fail. But God's love never fails. God's love never fails. His love lasts forever forever. And this is an indeterminate and unending time going into the future. An indeterminate and unending time going into the future. So this is forever. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. It is who he is. He is a loving God. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
And so, in the most faithful love in our Savior, laying down his life for sinners like you and me, greater love has no one than this, than a friend, lay down his life for his friend. Wow. And that is who we have. Jesus Christ laid down his life for sinners like us so that we might be his friends, John 15. So there's no greater example of love than our Savior hanging on a criminal's cross, dying in our place, being buried and rose again. God's love is never-ending, and it is faithful. And we see God's steadfast love in his faithfulness that endures forever as well. We see God's love in his faithfulness as well that lasts forever. So his love and his faithfulness, they're all, this is all tied together. All of God's character is tied together. So the Lord's faithfulness endures for all generations. The word faithfulness, it, it, it means steadiness or honesty or security or truth. So God's faithfulness, we could see it, you know, we could, we could all ha- have testimony after testimony of God's faithfulness in our lives for, for different things. And uh, we could go to many different places in Scripture to, to see God's faithfulness. But I want to focus in on, on one particular idea here this morning that, uh, that God's faithfulness is, is displayed in his eternal plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. God's faithfulness is seen throughout his eternal plan to redeem sinners through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The whole story of this book, the Bible, is about God reclaiming worshipers for his glory. God reclaiming worshipers for his glory. Immediately after the fall in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God promises that there will be a seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent, although his, bru- his heel will be bruised. And, and so we see this promise, even immediately after the fall, that God is going to send a redeemer. He is going to send somebody, the seed of the woman, to make this thing right. Everything was perfect before the fall, and then the fall happened, and God's promises this Savior will come one day. And then you have Abraham God made a covenant with him and says that in his offspring, all of the nations shall be blessed. The, the families, all the families of the earth shall be blessed from the seed of Abraham. You have Exodus, where you see God's faithfulness to lead his people out of Egyptian slavery, to part the Red Sea so that they could walk through the waters, to be delivered from the Egyptians. And then, of course, the Israelites are in the wilderness. They're wandering in the wilderness, and they're complaining, and they don't have any food. And so what does God do? He provides manna from heaven. Provides manna from heaven. And then he sustains them on their journey to the promised land. And eventually they, they enter into the promised land. And then God begins to appoint kings and rulers, uh, and, and so one of those kings being King David, who we read about in Acts 2 this morning. And what does he promise with, to David? That there's going to be a king that will sit on the, fr- the throne forever. There's going to be this eternal king from your lineage 
that will sit on the throne forever. Another uh, passage we can go to is Isaiah 53. We see this, this promise of a suffering servant who will shed his blood and cover the iniquity of his people. Will shed his blood. Will be like a, a lamb going to the slaughter to shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins for his people. Galatians 3.8 says, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And we could go to passage after passage after passage after passage, seeing this unfolding plan of God throughout scripture, throughout history, to redeem sinners to himself. So the Bible is 66 books, yet it's one story. It's 66 different books, yet there's one story, this one overarching theme of the Bible, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. For thousands of years, God preserved his people. He promised a Savior We see types and shadows pointing forward to Christ coming in the Old Testament. And God's faithful to even preserve his people in the wilderness to deliver them from slavery. So thousands of years, tens of thousands of years go by, and he preserves a people, and he sends the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, in, in the fullness of time to redeem sinners to himself. So when the time was right, according to God's sovereign plan, he sent Jesus into the world to save sinners. Thousands of years. But yet, it was even before the foundation of the world that God had this plan. He had this plan even before the foundation of the world. And he carried it out over thousands of years. And he's even still working today. God is faithful to preserve his people from generation to generation to generation. And he has this sovereign plan that he has been unfolding even before the foundation of the world, but after even the creation of the world. He had this plan that he carried out over thousands of years. Isn't that amazing? God is faithful. He is sovereign. He is loving. He's good. And he is faithful. We can see that as we see God's unfolding plan for salvation throughout Scripture. And this ought to give us a a very high view of the faithfulness of God. And it ought to lead us to be able to trust the Lord with our own lives. Seeing the faithfulness of God throughout history, throughout the Bible, it, it ought to, to give us a confidence in the faithfulness of God in our own lives. I'm going through uh, a resource with one of our students, and I was meeting with him just this past week, and uh, we were talking about the overarching uh, story of the Bible, and uh, the, this resource had, had a question and said, how does God's sovereign implementation of his work enhance your trust and confidence in his work in your own life? 
So how does God's sovereign implementation of his work enhance your trust and confidence in his work in your life? And the answer I wrote down, I said, if God has sovereignly planned all things for the world, then I can trust him with my small little life. And as I just was reading those scriptures and thinking about that, it just really encouraged me and, and calls me to say, you know, God, you're faithful. You're faithful. And so what are the things going on in your life to where you are doubting the faithfulness, the goodness of God? Perhaps there's something you are extremely anxious about and you just can't stop thinking about it. What is that thing for you? Perhaps there's something you're really struggling and battling with and and it's causing you to be depressed. To doubt the goodness of God and the value of your life and the fact that God is faithful in your life. Perhaps there's some major decision that you're just really, really wrestling with and you don't know what to do. Excuse me, what to do. There's some major decision that you're like, God, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do here. Perhaps there's parenting wisdom that you need and and, and you're not sure how to handle that. Maybe financial issues. You could fill in the blank, whatever it is. What are the things that you need to trust God and his faithfulness for in your own life? Because God is so faithful that he would carry out his plan of redemption throughout thousands of years. He was faithful to do that. He can work in your own life. He is faithful to us as well. So trust him. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. And he is faithful from one generation to the next. And we can trust him, church. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy, For if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Listen to this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. It is in his nature to be faithful to his people. Philippians 1.6 And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the, at the day of Jesus Christ. So our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. He is the only faithful one that we can trust. He is the Lord. So how can we learn these truths? How can we remind ourselves of these, these truths about God? There's, a few, there's many ways we could talk about, the, but a few that I want to, to hit on this morning I think the first way that we can remind ourselves of these truths is is to read and to meditate and memorize Scripture. We need this word to encourage our souls, to remind us of God. It is this word, it is in this word that God reveals himself to mankind. It is in this word. And so if we're going to know who our God is, we have to know this word. We have to. Have to, have to, have to. Because whenever we 
get into those moments of our lives where the circumstances are just overwhelming us and we, we don't know what to do, we, we need this word on our hearts. We need, to re, we need to know this word, to recall it in those moments, right then and there, when we start to feel that anxiety, that depression, lacking trust in God, whatever it may be, we need to have the scriptures on our hearts. Thanks to a, a few brothers, I've, I've started to really start to, to get more into scripture memory um, using an app, Fighter Verses, and, and uh, it's, it's been helpful. I've only been at it for a few weeks now. Um, I, I was memorizing scripture before that, but with a different method, not, not going quite as well. And uh, it's been a, a super encouragement to me. And to have other brothers who are, are doing that as well and, and, and seeking to memorize scripture, it's been an encouragement to me. And having the word on my heart, the, the verses I've been memorizing, it's, it's been encouraging me, encouraging me throughout the day. And I've been able to remind myself of the truth of the word as, as I've been going about my day. And as I've started to sin or, or, uh, or not trust God or whatever it may be, I've been able to recall those scriptures. So we must read, meditate, and memorize the scriptures. We ought to sit under faithful teaching of the word. You know, hopefully week after week when we come here on Sunday mornings as Pastor Ken proclaims the word and, and, and tells us the truth of what the scriptures say, we leave encouraged, we leave challenged and convicted, and, uh, and so we need that week after week. And, and of course, we need that more than just week after week. We need it day after day and moment by moment each and every day. And that's why we have to read and meditate and memorize scripture uh, on our own and throughout the day and, and with our families and it's also why we need to discuss the word in community. That's, that's the third one. To discuss the word in the context of community. I think a few, two, two things. One, family worship. Um, maybe a, reading the scriptures with your family, uh, praying together with your family, uh, singing a song with your family on a, on a daily or, or weekly basis, however that may look for you. Um, I think the main way that I, I want to focus on is our base groups. It is in our base groups where we want to really do life together. And, of course, we meet once a week as base groups, but that's not the intended end goal for our base groups. Really, the, the base group is to, uh, to foster deeper, uh, genuine, authentic community, gospel community with one another, where we're talking to one another throughout the week, sharing meals together, texting one another, encouraging one another day by day. And so we want to use that time on Sunday night to, to really foster that, to strengthen that bond with one another, and to, to really be a springboard into the rest of the week where we are depending on one another and encouraging one another. This is where we want to hold each other accountable, really do life together, share what's going on in our lives so we can be praying for one another, and, and also living on mission together. We really want to see that uh, throughout our base groups. I've been encouraged, uh, our base group, we, we have a men's group text and, um, where we can share prayer requests with one another um, and encourage one another and just share podcasts or sermons or what we're learning, sharing scripture with one another. And it's really an encouragement to see that from other brothers and uh, for me to be able to, to share with them as well. Even just this past week, I was texting them and saying, hey, I, I really need you guys to pray for me right now. Cause I, you know, these, and I listed a few things of, of what was going on. And, uh, and, the, and I know that they were praying for me, and that was an encouragement to me. 
And so we, we really want to see that at New Branch with our base groups, deep, uh, deepening our relationships with one another to, to uh, hold each other accountable, to grow in the gospel together, and to live on mission together. We need, we absolutely need other people in our lives to remind us of the truth of the word. Absolutely need it. We can't go about our faith journey as solo Christians. We'll, we'll, we'll lose it. We'll, we, we, won't, we won't be able to persevere. We need other people in our lives to help us. And so if we don't have gospel community that can speak into our lives, then we're going to get down. We're not going to be likely to remember the goodness, the faithfulness, the love of God. We need people to remind us of this, these truths about God. As the people of God, we must know and believe these truths about our Lord. But we also must continually remind ourselves day in and day out of these truths. And these truths about our Lord ought to lead us to respond. And that response should be worship. We ought to worship God. And there's three ways in which we are called to worship the Lord in this passage. Number one, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. The joyful noise, uh, one, one uh, commentator uh, defined it this way, signal with a loud noise, shout for joy, shout in triumph or exaltation. That is how our worship through song ought to be seen, ought to be described, and, and I hope that is the case for us. You see various psalms throughout uh, throughout, throughout the Psalms, talking about singing praises to our God. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Hebrews 13.15, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to, to God. So God commands his people to worship him through song. And when we worship God through song, it ought to be with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. It ought to be with our everything. We ought to joyfully proclaim the excellencies of God as we sing praises to him as a church. And the psalmist here says that it's all the earth. All the earth. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. And this goes back to God's eternal plan of redemption, that it would be worshipers from every tribe, nation, uh, and people group. And so this is, a, this, is, this is a call for all people from all nations, from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people group. And that's always been God's plan for all peoples to worship him. And so all people make a joyful noise to the Lord. The second response in worship in this passage is to serve the Lord with gladness. To serve the Lord with gladness. This word serve, it means to till or to toil, to work or to accomplish. And this is an imperative command that we are to, to serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord. This means all of our life. It's not just serving on a Sunday morning or at a work day on a Saturday morning, or whatever it may be, to serve the Lord is a daily pursuit. It is a daily thing. 
as we are dealing with our family, as we go to work, as we spend time with the neighbors in our neighborhood, as we are together as a, as a base group, whatever it may be, we are serving the Lord. We are representing God on this earth. And so we are called to serve him with gladness. This word gladness is the, the feeling of, of great joy or pleasure. And so as we serve God, we ought to have this great pleasure in us, this great joy. So we ought to serve him with joyful hearts. Now, our culture puts a negative spin or a negative connotation to the idea of, of, of humility and servanthood. Those two things just don't make sense to, to our culture. We're a very prideful, very selfish, self-centered culture, and that, that's something that we don't really value as a culture, to serve others and to have humility. However, Scripture is, is clear that we are to follow in the footsteps of our Savior who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself to serve sinners like us, the most undeserving people, and yet he came to save us by dying on a Roman cross in our place. And so we are called to follow his example, to serve with gladness. God has gifted each of us in different ways. We're all wired differently. differently. We all have uh, different gifts that we can use to build up the body. And we have our worship team who are, who are here every Sunday uh, leading us in worship through song, and, and Bob and Rachel doing a great job with that, and, and God has gifted them in that way. Some people it may be uh, with children's ministry or student ministry or uh, Arbor Terrace, whatever it may be, God has wired us in different ways. And so what are the ways in which God has wired you? How has he gifted you? What has he, what has he given you so that you can serve him with gladness? Are you, are you using those gifts to build up the body? Every body part has an importance. We all have value, and we all need one another in order to function properly, as we see in 1 Corinthians 12. And so are you building up the body with your gifts? Are you serving the body with your, the, the areas of, of gifts God's given you. If not, I encourage you to get, get plugged in. See where there's opportunities uh, to, to serve in our, in our church. I know that, um, that Bob and Mike have been looking for an AV, AV text back there for, for quite some time. If that's an interest of you, man, talk with them. Say, I'd love to use my gifts to build up the body of Christ. I know there's a need there. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to meet that. I, I'd, I'd be glad to meet that need. Or maybe a teaching children's ministry. I think there's some needs there as well. And so, again, I want to be clear. Uh, that is serving the Lord, you know, on Sunday mornings in, in various ways. But this is also a call to everyday life, moment by moment. So, so we have to serve the Lord all the day, all the days with, our, with, with gladness. So what gifts have, has God given you and how can you use them for his glory? We have to serve the Lord with gladness. And so that, that brings up the point. Perhaps you're actually serving God. You're serving him in, in a variety of ways, perhaps. You're plugged in every, every ministry or whatever it may be. Are you serving with gladness? Are you serving begrudgingly? Because you have to. Or, man, nobody else is going to do this if I don't do it. As we serve God, we are to do so with joy, with gladness. 
And so rather than looking at serving God as a, as a task that has to be accomplished, it is, it is a joy, it is a delight, it is a privilege that we could serve Yahweh, the creator and the shepherd. The Lord is God. It, it, the, serving him, it is, a, it is a privilege to serve the Lord of the universe who is full of steadfast love and is faithful to all generation and is good. It's a privilege to serve that God. And in fact, that's why I was made. I was made to serve him, to worship him, to serve the Lord with gladness. The third one, third response of worship is to give thanks and praise to the Lord. Give thanks and praise to the Lord. Look at verse four. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. So this is a reference to the 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 Israelites entering into the temple courts through the gates. And that's, that's how they would go into the temple, through the gates, and they would worship God. They would sing to God together as, as the people of God. And, of course, we know today that the people of God are, are represented in the church and the body of Christ. And so this is a reference to the fact that we ought to, to give thanks and praise uh, to God through song as a corporate body. We ought to, pr- to value the gathering of the corporate body of the people of God so that we could worship him, so that we could praise him. We could, the, the word praise is offering up words of homage or respect as an act of worship. We should give thanks to him, which means to express gratitude or show appreciation to someone. We ought to, to praise God and thank God for what he has done together as a church family. So our hearts ought to overflow in worship and thankfulness for what he has done for us through Christ to reconcile us to himself from being dead sinners to being made alive to worship him. So our hearts ought to overflow in thankfulness and praise to our Lord for what he has done. So is your heart overflowing with praise and with thankfulness to God for what he has done? Do you pray to God regularly? Thank you, Lord. For, for the work you're doing in my life. Thank you for sending Christ to save me from my sin. We ought to regularly praise and thank God. Do you sing to God and, and praise him and thank him? Are you, are you singing with, a, with making a joyful noise to the Lord? We ought not go one day without thanking God for who he is and what he has done. In fact, multiple times throughout the day, thanking God, praising God. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done, for who you are. I praise you. I thank you. Give thanks and praise to the Lord. God's faithfulness and steadfast love are seen throughout all of Scripture. He created mankind in his image, and we fell. We fell into sin, separating us from God. But immediately after that, In verse 15, we see the promise of a seed that will come and crush the head of the serpent. And then we see God preserve his people from one generation to another. And we see this promised Savior that is to come. And indeed, he has come. And it is Jesus Christ who has died in the place of sinners as our substitute rose again from the dead so that we could be reconciled to God, so that God could reclaim worshipers for his glory 
through faith in Jesus Christ. He did this through his good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And may these truths be heard anew, afresh for us today. And may our hearts bubble up with joy and with thanksgiving. May these truths cause us to worship God, thanking him, praising him for who he is and what he's done. May it lead us to faithfully and gladly serve him all the days of our lives. Church, Yahweh, the Lord alone, is worthy of our worship. Let us be faithful to continually learn, believe, and remind ourselves of who our God is, of his goodness, of his faithfulness, of his steadfast love. And as we do so, may we joyfully worship him and serve him all the days of our lives. Church, would you please pray with me?